All right, ladies and gentlemen, you've seen the tweets all week long, and this is the day we've been waiting for, sitting down with David Alter to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. And after last night, why not talk about them? William Nylander put the little finger to the face there and said, shh, to everyone who's kind of been hating on him. Uh, David, how did you feel last night's game went? A little listless and lifeless right up until the end of the third, but the Leafs got it done. Yeah, it felt like an old, uh, I don't know how old you are, but um, it felt like a 90s game. Like uh, like with the goaltenders making the kick saves, it really gave me the nostalgia feels of those like uh, dead puck era one nothing to one games, just with everything we were seeing there. But uh, look, the Leafs' identity this year has been to be defensive, and it may not be pretty, but they've managed to pull out results. And um, they had a lot going against them in that game. Injuries are piling up, and uh, they're down to their, what was their fourth goaltender on the depth chart to start the season. Now their third goaltender, Michael Hutchinson, and uh, he's been scrutinized quite a bit. But they managed to pull it out. And if you look at everything evenly from a 5-on-5 five five standpoint, they were the far better team. So the right team, based on the effort level, appeared to have won last night. Well, you look at the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and who they have injured, obviously. It's a who's who's lineup. I mean, even Zach Hyman's not 100%, but now... The glaring question this morning is, besides the victory, um, Austin Matthews obviously has been dealing with a wrist injury all season long. He missed a game. Uh, but now you have to sit and wonder, are, is he going to miss more time? Um, you've seen him on the bench grimacing. Obviously, the collision with the boards wasn't any good for it either. Um, do you have a feeling with Austin Matthews, do you think he may be out of the lineup for a little bit of time now? I don't think he's going to be out. Um, if he misses games every now and then, I think it's going to be the odd game for maintenance. But based on, on what I've seen from this injuries, it seems fairly minor. Like, it's not something that he needs a brace for or anything that, um, that hasn't been able to be fixed with a little bit of tape based on what we've seen. And uh, look what he's been able to do with that sore wrist. I mean, it's one of those things where... You can play banged up, but it's a measure of are we are we lose like what's the you know when you look at things from an analytical standpoint, games above replacement, everything like that. Like a a forty percent Austin Matthews is probably better than what you're replacing him with at this point. So as long as it's not something that they feel can get worse, and it's just a matter of pain management, which which appears to be the case here because if it was something more serious, he would have gone off for repairs instead of just requesting some tape on the bench. So, I mean, we don't know. We're not doctors, but uh, all we can do is really take Sheldon Keith's word at face value. And from that standpoint, it looks like it's something where he can manage it. And if he misses a game here and there, they're going to be strategic about it. And given the record, they can, they can more than afford to kind of pick their spots in terms of managing – Austin Matthews pain threshold. Well, that's definitely, and I look at a guy like Zach Hyman. I think the uh, the injury he has in his foot is the same thing. It's threshold. Can you get through a game? Can you get the skate on? Can you play through it? You know, will it bother you? Same thing with Austin with the wrist. You know, can you play through the game, or do you need time? Um, you know, it's all pain, and, and they all go through things all season long. I want to ask you though. Last night, obviously, you look at these two games, the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, they're shorthanded and guys are expected to step up. And you want to know what you have throughout the season with certain guys. I look at two guys last night that I think stepped up fairly well in Travis Dermott and another guy in Babaranov who showed flashes of things I don't think we've seen from him this season so far. I'm wondering for you, though, David, you look at this game here and even the one on Monday. Um, 
was there anyone who stood out for you and, and you know, took a little bit of a step forward where you're like, okay, I could see if X, Y, and Z is not in the lineup, this person can step up and fill in that role? That's a good question. It's uh, It was really tough because in the previous game, it didn't look like that. Not the last game uh, on Wednesday, but on Monday uh, when you didn't have someone like Zach Hyman in there and the Leafs were really kind of flustered as to what their top six was going to look like and they put... Uh, Barabanov, as you mentioned, in that spot. It didn't look great. It wasn't fair to him either because he he bounced from being a taxi squad player to second-line minutes. <laughs> so the expectation to go from that and to start shooting the lights out is, is not really fair. But uh, having um, a moderated amount of minutes in that fourth-line role, I thought he did look really good. And he's a guy who's been trying to kind of find his spot that that fourth line has been really kind of tough to crack for consistency. They've got two-thirds of it figured out with Jason Spezza and Travis Boyd, and then that other spot has kind of bounced around between Patan, uh, Barabanov, who I was kind of surprised did get the spot, but I guess did show enough in that second-line role. And, and in that game against the Flames on Wednesday, he had a couple of scoring chances. He just didn't quite beat David Riddick, who was outstanding in the last two games. So uh, I think he was good. Travis Dermott, it still remains to be seen. That pairing with Justin Hall, there's a lot of eyes on that because that was the pairing that was playing together in that that series against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So they have a lot to prove to show that they've changed from that. Uh, I think Justin Hall's done that in spades. Travis Dermott is now getting that opportunity. They didn't look out of place, so it was good for that one game. But I think in terms of generating offense, what they missed from Muzzin is that ability to break things out. Like, their defensive zone exits were just solid with, with Muzzin out there. He was like a big generator of the offense going the other way. So there's that that the Leafs kind of have to figure out. Um, but in terms of people jumping out, look, Michael Hutchinson, no one has had a bigger target on his back than him in terms of goalie depth. And the pressure was definitely on because when you don't have uh, your main two guys and uh, everyone's just kind of shuddering when, when Hutch has to go in net, I thought when he made that difficult uh, redirection save in that opening minute, I kind of had the sense he was going to have a good game. Usually, if you've ever played the goalie position at any level, you feel if you get if you make a difficult save early, it gives you a world of confidence. You kind of saw it in the rest of the game. No, definitely. I mean, we do kind of shudder when Michael Hutchinson's been in there, but that's the only experience <laughs> we've had with them is as a Toronto Maple Leaf, it hasn't been that great. It hasn't been roses. Um, you know, but you look at the players that were playing in front of him previously, but then you look what he did in Colorado, um, you yeah. know, and the Michael Hutchinson that was there. So that's not far removed. That was just last playoffs. You're right on that cusp. So if he can come in for a few games and give relief, that's what you need. And he's won two already. So, I mean, that's a great start to this, but hopefully you get Jack Campbell back. Um, there's no word, I don't think, on Freddie Anderson and how long he's going to be gone, but you saw the save he made on Saturday night where he basically stretched out beyond any human comparable, I don't think, and you tried to stand up and you see him grimacing, you know, looking at the ice like, oh, that's not good. So you know that maybe something groin-wise, who knows? We're not, like you said, we're not doctors, but it's something yeah, that probably he came up. He also took that bump earlier in the game, um, in the opening minute, I believe it was, Justin Hall kind of went out from underneath him and took his legs out. And in Montreal, it looked like he was already kind of starting to feel things there. So, I mean, that, that last day probably did it. But, um, I mean, 
before that game, Sheldon Keith also said that he had been battling. So, yeah. like, whatever was kind of already sore just got worse, obviously. So, yeah. Well, before we ask you about players that we've added and what you think of their value, I want to ask you, you know, there's a, a little bit of a debate raging here. You know, you have players like Austin Matthews, a little banged up Zach Hyman, um, obviously guys on, you know, the injured reserve are just out right now. Um, the Leafs opened up a cushion. They've done that. Um, it's great to have. Are you of the mind, and this is what I'm on the mind of, if you have the opportunity to let guys heal up opposed to let an injury either get worse or have them play through it and not be 100% when you need them the most, would you rather guys sit out now and give them the extra time like a Freddie Anderson? Obviously, they're giving Jack Campbell all the time in the world to come back. Um, Muzzin, they say he could be back in a week with a face shield. You know, maybe just give him more time. You have that cushion. Um, you know, you're obviously not going to lose every game either. But would you rather see these guys take the time, heal properly instead of kind of not rush back, but come back still not 100%? Yeah, it's a tough one because I know what um, management is kind of concerned of is if you don't feel the most competitive lineup you possibly can, that it only takes a few games of bad habits to creep in and a slide begins. And there's always that pressure to kind of bank points early and give yourself breathing room, but also not let that feeling of, oh, we can settle for this kind of sink in. So there's that element. The other part is uh, the way the Leafs are structured with their top-end talent and their salary cap is that if you just decide that that's what you're going to do, then you're not really going to feel that com- that much of a competitive team. And given where they are, if guys aren't on injured reserve, they really don't have the amount of bodies to be able to throw a lineup together. So that's another thing that kind of goes against that thinking as well. So you have your taxi squad guys, but you have one defenseman that you're carrying and and a couple of other forwards. Plus you have Alex Galchenyuk, who they do not want to rush in by any means. They are really, they, they are seeing him as a project to try and give him the time necessary to work with the skills coaches to 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 become that player that he once was and not just throw him into uh, the same that's been happening with him the last couple of years. So the Leafs don't really have the luxury of bodies that they can bring in with the cap to, to kind of just be okay with resting guys because uh, if they're not on long-term injured reserve, there's no uh, cap relief to kind of throw the bodies together to, to put these guys into play. They can do it with fourth-line guys, but with their top-end talent, they, they really don't have that luxury. No, I, I see where you're going with that. I just look at it, you know, you, you wish you could, I guess, and I get what you're saying about salary cap mm-hmm. and not having players, but, you know, you'd rather have your best players be your best players when it counts the most. But, no, definitely, the, the salary cap thing is a problem. I mean, the other problem the Leafs have, too, is they do have guys that are down in the AHL that may be players that they need to bring up, like a Nick Robertson, and I want to get your opinion on that because he looks like a guy that, you know, is not destined to stay in the AHL but destined to be in the NHL. Um, do you see him coming up, or do you see the Leafs leaving him down there and letting him get some seasoning and confidence and, you know, bring his game along down there before bringing him up maybe next year? I think they bring him up this season. I think he's knocking on the door. I think um, Jimmy VC is still struggling big time, and it looks like they're just waiting to kind of pull that trigger and, and flip the spot there to see if uh, Robertson can be an everyday third-line winger. So uh, I think they would do it sooner if the team, if the HL team didn't have to start on the road and you have 
uh, other types of quarantine rules that come with the traveling and bouncing between the A if it's not in the same city. There's all kinds of different rules that are associated with it, and it's making it all line up. So because the Marlies are, st are having these glut of games on the road in their short bodies, uh, it just, from a logistical standpoint, if they don't have to call up Robertson right now, they may as well just wait till it's convenient to do so. So I think that's what, what's happening there. Uh, the Leafs are now going to go on a five-game road trip out west. And, uh, I'm not sure where the Marlies are exactly. Last I looked at the calendar, they were in Stockton or in Cal uh, Calgary playing Stockton, but uh, they might be heading eastward after that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of different moving parts there. But with Robertson, I think he's he's uh, a guy that they no doubt want him to play and want him to uh, contribute. And if he's if he's showing that he's way above that AHL level where it's kind of like um, he's not getting any more out of it and VC continues to struggle like he is right now, then that, that's just an interchangeable part that they're just waiting to pull the trigger on. All right, so we're brought him up. Let's talk about Jimmy BC for a second. Obviously, he was brought here kind of as a reclamation project, uh, bounced around, you know, Rangers, Buffalo, uh, now with the Maple Leafs, obviously at least wanted him at the time when he was at his peak fever pitch and everybody was chasing him. Um, what is not working for Jimmy VC in your eyes? For me, it just looked like he, he doesn't gel you know, on the line he's on, the role he's given. Uh, they tried him last night on the power play. He looked even more disjointed uh, on that. I mean, I, I don't know how many opportunities you can give this guy for to try to make him fit. Um, do you see this project basically being done, David, with Jimmy VC? And once they have the opportunity, whether it be Robertson or injuries start, you know, relieving themselves and Thornton's back and, you know, Hyman's fully healthy and everybody's back to where they need to be, Simmer's back as well. Do you see Jimmy VC being that odd guy out and maybe finds himself not even on the taxi squad, but down the A? I think that there is a legit effort continuously to give VC everything they have before giving up on him. I think a lot, a lot of the talk of bringing him over, there was obviously the family bloodlines with the, the franchise as well. But um, you see it. There's been the last couple of weeks now where when practice wraps up or a morning skate wraps up, there is a lengthy conversation between Keith and VC. And they're talking, and you can see the frustration level kind of set in uh, in terms of, where he kind of fits and what they're asking for him. And and the other thing that's weird, too, is that he's not really, like, the, with the way these Zoom calls are structured in this weird COVID times, is the players you get are usually the players you get, and that's it. Like, there's no specific requests. So when this is happening, he's kind of shielded from the media to, to kind of figure out what what's not working. Uh, and... Look, they, they moved him to the fourth line, but they put him back in the third. They obviously know his potential, that they don't want to waste him and they don't want to give up on him so early. So um, when guys start coming back and they're healthy, they may have to pull that trigger. But he's been fortunate in that regard that they do kind of need someone of his speed. And so so he's kind of has that saving grace there, but there's no finish in his game right now. And um, they do like some of the things from a defensive standpoint that are that are showing some forms of promise. So, so that that's been a reason why there's no panic in, in that in that decision yet. But they're definitely running out of options as guys get healthy. And you know, when when you guy when you get Thornton back, that's going to push Hyman 
probably back to that third line role. BC moves down. If you start to get Simmons back and maybe some other players healthy, and uh, Patan looks really good in, in the games that he's been in, uh, it's going to be a hard it's going to be a hard sell to kind of get VC in there. Plus, if you have Robertson and you think he's ready to go, that just pushes him completely out the door. Yeah, no, definitely. And well, that's the way we look at it. I mean, you never want to give up on a guy, and you know what he can do. There's there's talent there. Um, just for whatever reason, much like, uh, and I know everybody says, you know, they're not gelling too well together, but I mean, William Nylander and John Tavares aren't exactly doing bad by point standards, but you know, sometimes it's just finding the right guys to play with and the chemistry. And right now for, at least for Jimmy Vc, I don't see chemistry with guys, you know, I don't know who, it, who you got to get them to play with to get that going. Um, but also I look at this factor here. We talked about the revolving door on the fourth line and different guys coming in and, you know, swapping it out, trying to get guys rolling, third and fourth line guys. Could it be a continuity thing? Not knowing who you're playing with, playing with different guys, um, you know, and not getting that familiarity of repetitions with different players. You're going through, like, the gauntlet of, hey, this guy's in the lineup, Boyd's in the lineup. Okay, now it's Spezza. Okay, now it's Ingvall. Now it's Patan. You know, and you're trying to figure out who you're going to play with and you're not getting that familiarity factor where the top six is basically set with Thornton and Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Mikheyev, Hyman, you know, that kind of group. I'm wondering if that factors in at all to a guy like VC who's trying to get his foot, you know, you know, solid on the ground, but he doesn't know who he's always going to be playing with, and that could lead to that factor of not knowing and not knowing where a guy is and stuff like that. Do you think that plays in at all, David? I think there's some of that, but I think it's also probably when VC came in here, he looked at the way the Leafs have been in the last few years, and he looked at his potential with the Rangers when he was scoring 16, 17 goals per season, and just thought, well, this is a perfect fit, and I'm going to shoot the lights out on the third line. Well, what's happened is this offseason for the Leafs has been all about structure and fixing things defensively before you take your advantages on offense. And for a guy like VC who's used to scoring, even though things look better defensively, it's going to eat at him, and he's not going to look uh, good going back the other way. And when the offense isn't rolling, that's going to affect your confidence all around. So it's kind of like buy into the defense and the offense will come, and it's it's hard because he, he doesn't have the proof of that. Like, yeah, he scored in the first uh, first game of the season, and everyone thought that that was going to get him rolling, but it, it just the offense hasn't been there. And I think what you saw him on the power play was just uh, like a, a situation to reward him for his defensive play to get his confidence up, to get his scoring touch back, so that he would continue to buy in on the defensive side of things and not lose faith in that. So it's kind of a weird, like, cyclical thing where – you go to a team like Toronto, you think it's just going to be all offense because that's kind of how it's been, but the message, the message to being successful has changed, and it's just not to VC's strength. Even though they like what he's been doing on the other end, he's not getting the satisfaction of putting up the points. And so uh, I think I think it's uh, it's one of those things where if he doesn't start scoring, he starts losing his confidence. He loses the defense, and that's where they lose him completely. And they're really trying to spend all that time with him in practice to just give him that positive reinforcement that he's doing the right things. No, definitely. And, I mean, the one-on-one conversations with the coach at the end of practice, you know, that goes a long way too because also it sets the tone for yourself, knowing, you know, A, where you are with the organization, B, where you are with your coach, and C, 
what is expected of you going forward, which a lot of guys need. I don't know about you, but for me, I like hearing that from time to time from my work to make sure I'm in the right line. And sometimes, you know, you can go off on your own little tangent, but you know, you look back and say, Hey, am I doing this right? Am I in the right you know, realm of what needs to be done? And when you hear that, then you're like, okay, this is what I need to do. Yeah. This is my focus. So I like that aspect too. And I like what you say about not giving up on them. And I want Jimmy VC to succeed. I wanted him here when he was at that fever pitch and everybody was chasing him, but we'll see what shakes out there. Another player I really want to ask you about, you see, it's Alexander Kerfoot. You look at this guy at the third line center, and I've kind of harped on this throughout the season here on the show about his face-off percentage in the D zone. Um, you know, even on the penalty kill, it wasn't the greatest. Uh, now he's playing wing with William Nylander and John Tavares, and he's looking a lot better. Is Alexander Kerfoot destined to be a winger and they figure out that third-line center position for someone else? That's a good question. I'm actually not sure because it did catch some people by surprise when they started the season, given who they have up the middle, that they wouldn't use someone like a Kerfoot on the wing. But I think it was just a matter of bolstering that third line. Um, The Leafs were not... 100% 100% sold on Pierre Engvall to start the season as being a third-line center, but he's really come into his own in the last little bit. He had flashes of that last year when they gave him that new contract um, that he could kind of be a regular in that spot. So uh, it's, it's interesting. I think you see him constantly become interchangeable because I thought he looked really good as a third-line center as well. Like I think he really stabilized that uh, in that role. And I think from a defensive standpoint, he actually did give someone like VC a bit of uh, more confidence to, to play in the back end and, and be more reliable in that spot. So I think it's um, it's an interesting one. I'm not exactly sure where they go with that because once you get all these wingers back, I think you need someone like Kerfoot back up the middle. Like if you have Thornton and you have Simmons back, you know they're not going to play center. So... I think you have no choice but to put, kind of put Kerfoot into that spot and kind of move him around a little bit. So I think he just kind of splits his time 50-50 for now. Um, but I, I'm not exactly sure where they go with it. He looked good He looked good up the middle earlier in the season too. And I think coaches, it's tough because there's so much responsibility when it comes to playing center that if you like what you saw from him at center and you thought he was good and you there was a reluctance to move him in the wing, and he's good at the wing, too. You don't want to lose that luxury of how good he was at center when you need him to switch back. Yeah. So, so I think they try and move him back up the middle with they have, if they have a fully healthy roster. But if injuries dictate that he stays on the wing, I think that's fine, so long as guys like Pierre Engvall are up to the task of playing third-line center and doing a good job of it. No, that's a fair enough answer. I just looked at him. Like I said, I looked at the, the raw number of face-off stats, and he was below. There's two games where he's 100%. Obviously, no player is going to stay right. 100%. But there's a lot of games he was below, you know, 33% or 25%. He's in that realm. And you look at that, and you're thinking, okay, if this is the guy at the beginning of the season where Keith said he wanted it to be Hyman Mikheyev and Kerfoot, some sort of shutdown defensive kind of line to really jam up the opponent. And, you know, if you're not winning the faceoff in your D zone and you're not winning it at that key time, that's the the whole point of that line is to stifle the offense of the other team and then get it down the ice. But I don't know. I, I look the, at, you know, I think, yeah, the other thing I'd say about that is, look, if that's an issue, they could always adjust and 
they like they may like his 200 foot game up the middle position that they just have the winger take the face off if they're better at it for that particular spot in the zone. They've done that in certain situations yep. as well. So like even though he may not be the the face off designated player, he could still be the center for all for all other aspects of when that team is out on the ice. So another player that I want to ask you, actually I'm going to ask you about a few players now. Um, you know, Wayne Simmons, Joe Thornton, TJ Brody, Zach Bogosian. I just want a quick thought on each of those players. New players to the Toronto Maple Leafs, but making impacts. Um, obviously, we feel how much we miss Simmons. We know how much the ray of sunshine Joe Thornton is. Uh, Brody seems to finally uh, grow into that steady, uh, steady position of himself being on that back end. And then you look at a guy like uh, Bogosian, who has a Stanley Cup ring and everything there, wondering uh, what your thoughts are on each of those four guys. Yeah, so let's start with uh, Wayne Simmons. I mean, uh, similar to Joe Thornton, good guy in the room, lifts everybody up. But the number one thing I'm seeing from him is the power play. The moment he was gone, they really just have not had that net front presence in there. It's uh, it's very clear. So, uh, like that, that's, that's the Wayne Simmons' entire career. And um, the drop-off was steep, with the exception of the one game against the Canadians recently where they scored three goals on the power play. It's, it's really taken a nosedive since he's been hurt. So they need him back for special teams and for all the other things in the room and, and the attitude that they brought him in for. Uh, they, they brought him for. Um, for Joe Thornton, similar situation. Uh, lifts up the room, gets everyone upbeat. Uh, also well-positioned in the attack zone. I, I think they did a really good job with limiting his minutes, but also having him be able to play a lot uh, with guys like Matthews and Marner. So I think that he was really good fit there and uh, can be an interchangeable part uh, when he gets more fatigued as the game goes along. Uh, TJ Brody, the number one thing about him that I would say is that we don't talk about him a lot. That's a good thing for a defenseman. Uh, good stick in the defensive end. And the biggest takeaway for me is that he's really stabilized Morgan Riley as a player because uh, Morgan Riley has just had a difficult time with different defense partners, and he's really brought the best out of Morgan Riley since he's landed here. So that's that's what I'd say about him. And Zach Bogosian, uh, another veteran guy that kind of helps players. Uh, he seems to have had a positive effect on Travis Dermott. I see the conversations that they have together a lot when they're on the ice, very vocal uh, defend his players. There was a situation in Montreal where there was a uh, an odd penalty, and um, on one of his other players, not not for Bogosian. And when the time would expire, he was very delayed in getting off the ice, just really in the official's ear, pleading his case. He seems like a guy who really goes to bat for his players and wants to make guys around him better. And Travis Dermott has spoken up about that. So, um, with those three veteran guys, those have been. Those have been the big takeaway when they're around. Um, and for Brody, it's just been really stabilizing Morgan Riley to be to bring the best out of him as well. Well, look at this team. and uh, We talk about those four players, and I think that the biggest thing that I've seen so far this season, David, and you can speak to this probably too, is just how much the leadership group in this team has grown and the steps it seems like people have taken defensively. No longer, I don't think you... Not that it was a country club atmosphere. Everybody uses that term, and it's bothersome, but 
you know, it seems like the accountability is there with a guy like Joe Thornton and a guy like Wayne Simmons, Bogosian. But before it was Muzzin and really Hyman trying to be the voices to, to drag everybody across that line. And now there's a group that can do that. And it seems like the younger guys are taking that to heart and wanting to take those next steps. Is that something you've noticed this season with this group? I think so. I mean, with Hyman, as much as he's going to want to say you got to do these things and they'll listen, look, he came in and into the league the same time William Nylander did, like the exact same time. So it, it really has a more effective message when it's coming from someone like a Joe Thornton or Wayne Simmons because when you grow up watching these guys and you know that they've won before, uh, they their words hold weight. And you mentioned it. I think accountability is the number one thing they bring because if they dog it or if there's something that looks like they really kind of can't get away from, I think there is a real concerted effort not to disappoint those guys and to make yourself look good in their eyes. And I think that comes with those veteran players that you mentioned. I think that's, that is number one. They have to bring those guys and, um, when you talk about someone like Joe Thornton, when the guys smile immediately, I think that's a, that's a pretty good sign. So, um, I, I think veterans are always important, but it's a matter of bringing the right ones that can spread a, spread a positive message. And, and, uh, the Leafs have done that with those guys for sure. No, I definitely think so. And you look at how excited Matthews and Marner are when they play with Joe Thornton and they'll just point score, whether it's him scoring or they score off a pass from him. They're super excited about it. So I, I love the overall feel where it feels like there's an absolute positivity around the team. And, you know, when adversity comes, which they're facing right now with injuries, it still feels like they can roll and try to get through it together. It's not the body language you used to see on the bench where they're slumped over and, you know, they're down by a goal and you basically know that it's over in that particular night. You know, last night when they came back and they battled and won 2-1, to one, that's what you were hoping from Leafs teams of previous years to start to win those games because the old mantra is, you know, good teams find ways to win even when, you know, they may not deserve to win. Not that last night they didn't deserve to, but you know what I'm saying. It's that opportunity to, to grab the victory or to push yourself forward and not feel sorry for yourself. And they're starting to do that. And I think this group that they've brought in, to you know, surround the nucleus players like Riley and Matthews and Marner and Nylander Tavares, I think it's definitely going to help and propel them forward. So that leads me to ask you, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and you look at where they are in the standings, I want to ask you, A, do you see them holding on to the top spot? I mean, Edmonton's trying to make a charge here. And do you see them being one of those final four teams left standing once the divisions move forward to the final rounds? So... Uh, I do think the Maple Leafs will win the stand, win the North Division. Uh, I think it, there's just been they've been incredibly consistent in their ability to fight back. As you mentioned, are reasons why I think they'll hang on to this lead in the North, no problem. The playoffs—they're a wild card, but I really do think that uh, they will win those first two rounds. And I think that just speaks to the level of competition in that division. I've been kind of keeping everyone cautiously optimistic about the Leafs just because of how weird the season is with the quality of their opponents. There's some great offensive players in the North, and Montreal is the best team 5-on-5, five five, and that's great. But when you look at some of these other divisions and the teams that the Leafs do not have to play, you have to take that into account. 
Like, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And not to get too deep in the weeds on stats, but the number one thing that stood out to me with the Leafs and how well set up it was for them is when just doing my prep for this year, I looked at Frederick Anderson's career stats against the Canadian opponents going into the season, and it was 52 and 11. <laughs> and to me, like to me, I saw that. I'm just like, okay, I know goalie wins and losses don't tell everything, but that is a huge disparity in terms of wins and losses when you look at the level of opponent. So. It's never been better set up for the Leafs, and they're doing all the right things, which is great. And I think that they'll get through these two rounds if they continue to play this way. But then what happens after that is anyone's guess because those those t- other divisions are just so much stronger, especially the East. Like, the East is crazy good. The Central's pretty damn good. The West is eh, all right. But, and the Canadian division outside of the Leafs and a couple of other teams with flashes of brilliance is just not great. So so I think the Leafs will get to the final four, and then who knows what happens after that. No, well, it's the playoffs, right? I mean, it's crazy magic, and whatever happens, happens. Now, you look at the Maple Leafs. I'll ask this last question about the Leafs before I ask you about a couple teams in the North Division here before we wrap up. Um, do you see the Toronto Maple Leafs being buyers before the trade deadline? And do we see a deal sooner than later because of the 14-day quarantine? I do think if a deal would happen and you have to go outside of the division, for can- which in Canada you, you may very well have to, then yeah, like there's going to be like a theoretical kind of 14 days before the trade deadline, trade deadline that people are going to look at for sure. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not, they're not going to look at a deal if that means that person has to miss two or three games just so that they, like, they can have them. If, if there's a bill to be made at the deadline and the Leafs have to wait two weeks, it might bring the asking price down, and they still do it, and they just have to wait those two weeks, and that's just the way it is. Um, but the Leafs are going to have a couple of factors go in to the trade deadline. Injuries will be a big one. If they have a long-term injury to a – a player that commands a big salary and it's something they know that will keep them towards the end of the regular season, that'll actually help because it will create some cap space for the remainder of the regular season, which they can activate and then have that player and both players without a salary cap to the playoffs. We saw that with Chicago. I think it was Patrick Kane. Um, but yeah, they, they're, that's a factor. If they don't and they're starting to get fully healthy, they really kind of got a bit of misfortune getting these injuries as early as they did because their daily cap accrual they weren't able to expand it when as they were when they're fully healthy because they're now into LPIR so they don't get the same kind of cap space savings and because of that they they don't have as much of a savings as the type of player that they can acquire so they would have to have a training partner take some not a lot but some salary back so I do think there's a deal to be had. Hopefully by the time the trade deadline comes near that that there will be some separation from teams that they'll, it'll be obvious that they're sellers and they'll be able to make some sort of favorable deal where some cap can go the other way. But it's tricky for the Leafs, just given where they are with the salary cap. A lot of teams are having these problems, but with the Leafs especially, it's going to be a matter of can they get so-and-so 
and uh, have someone take a little bit of salary retention or a player back the other way. It, it's, there's going to be a lot of cap nuance to this to this uh, trade deadline now more than ever. No, I can definitely see that being a, a focal point there. And, uh, you know, everybody seems to see the uh, Maple Leafs married with the Nashville Predators here as a potential trade partner, whether it's Grandland, you hear Forsberg out there at home, all these different names. Um, so I think the Leafs will make a move. But before I let you go, I want to get your opinion on the Canadian division. I'll ask you to give me uh, one surprise from the division that you weren't expecting and then one thing that you're uh, – Unfortunately, looking at it like, well, I don't know how this is happening. This team is way too good to be where they are. I think the uh, the surprise to me, I was going to say the Canadians, uh, just given uh, how well they started, but they seem to level off now where they're about where I thought they'd be. But who knows now what change with the charm in, in charge if they uh, kind of get back to that. But for them being the best five-on-five team at even strength, uh, from from a various analytical categories, that surprised me a lot. Even with their additions, that was a big surprise. Um, the biggest, but right now I would have to say it's the, it's the Canucks. Even though they lost a few guys, I thought they'd be a lot more competitive than where they are right now. And so that one surprised me. I thought Brayden Holtby would be a good 1A and Patrick Denko would take a step up. Um, but all around, that team is just not firing like I thought they would be. Uh, so um, the Canucks are definitely my surprise right now. The Canadians were, but now they're where I think they would be. And uh, the Oilers are not surprising me at all because I thought this was going to be a shooting gallery to start the season. And um, now, like, their defensive issues will come into question later on. But Toronto and Edmonton, when you look at it from a talent standpoint, those are the two teams I think a lot of people thought might be one and two at this point in the year. No, I wouldn't disagree with that. A team that I picked to be top of the division, and I'm wondering if they right the ship, was the team they played last night was the Calgary Flames. I look at them adding Markstrom and Tanev, and you know you finally shore up that goal position, which is something that's been a sore thing for you for a while. And you had a heart and soul guy like Chris Tanev back there. I really thought Calgary would take some steps, but... Um, maybe there's something in the water there. Maybe changes need to be made, whether it's a good Drogon or a Monahan. But I look at the Calgary Flames, and I, like I said, I had them as number one in the division, but they're they're far from that right now. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes to the their defensive structure, and uh, I personally am not sold on Jeff Ward. Like I think, like you're seeing some decisions in there, uh, particularly with the goaltending before the last couple of games. Uh, against Toronto that kind of got me, you know, thinking, like, um, is, is he the right guy to be a long-term head coach? Because remember, like, he came in on an interim basis, um, and then after that, the shortened season, it's not like the Flames were in the market to necessarily go and make a change. So uh, it could be one of these things where I think a coaching change may be needed down the road to, to kind of right the ship with the Flames because they should be playing better. But they're not. But I'm not really surprised that they're a 500 team either. Even though they added these players, I always thought there was going to be some chemistry issues. And if the coach doesn't deploy them in the right way, then this was going to happen. So I'm not too surprised that the Flames are where they are right now. Well, hopefully they can right the ship. But we look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're very happy with where they are. And 
the uh, injury bug. Hopefully it goes away soon and we get the full roster back to have some more fun. But David, it's been awesome to have you on. I look forward to having you on closer to playoffs. Maybe uh, talk a little preview for what's going to happen there. Where can people find your work and where can people find you? Yeah, just go to the, the Hockey News uh, website, THN.com. Uh, you can go there. I'm at Dalter, D-A-L-T-E-R, on Twitter. Um, I have an Instagram, which is DavidAlter35. Um, but uh, we're doing all kinds of stuff there. Uh, the Hockey News is going a little bit more into to daily beat reporting, which is what I've been doing, and it's been a blast so far. So I'm really happy to be back doing this thing on a regular basis and providing the insight that uh, – that uh, I enjoy to uh, bring to the listeners for sure. Well, we super appreciate you having on today, David, and uh, best of luck throughout the season. We'll look forward to talking to you down the line. All right, you bet. Thanks a lot. No problem. All right, so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is David Alter of the Hockey News covering the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we drilled down pretty far in the Leafs. So, ladies and gentlemen, you know the mantra, this is offside hockey talk where hockey comes to talk. 